and welcome to Prophecy Girls, a Buffy rewatch podcast. I'm Stephanie Chow, pronouns she, her. And I'm Kara Babcock, pronouns she, her. Join us each week as we break down every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer from the beginning. This is a spoiler-free podcast, so whether you're watching for the first time or longtime fans like us, we'll be analyzing every episode, character, and storyline like it's our first time too. During this rewatch, we'll reminisce about our memories of Buffy, discuss the show's cultural impact, and provide honest commentary on the show from a 21st century lens. Thanks for listening. Now, on to the episode. Season 5, episode 12, Checkpoint. And we are joined today by a very special guest, aren't we, Kara? We are. We have with us Kendara Blake, uh, author of many novels, including Buffy novels. Welcome back. Thank you so much for having me back again. (laughs) Yay, so excited. Our third prophecy girl. (laughs) Yes. You chose this episode, though, You're because you, we said, here's all the episodes, here's our recording schedule, you can choose, and you cho- you chose Checkpoint. So I kind of wanted to pick your brain about that before we get started. I did choose Checkpoint, um, and I think my other selection was, was uh, Triangle, <laughs> which apparently got very saucy and salty, so I'm kind of <laughs> sad I missed that one. Uh, <laughs> The reason I picked Checkpoint is because in my memory, it was kind of a lighthearted, more fun episode that had some, you know, good jokes and some good quips in a season that has has some very heavy moments. So I thought it might be a good time. Yeah, well, there, there's a one big triumphant moment in Checkpoint that I really, really enjoyed that we'll get to. But uh, there's another reason you're on the podcast today, right, Kendara? There is something that we are plugging. There's something we're promoting for you today? <laughs> hmm, yeah. What could it be? Yeah, the uh, the second book in the Buffy the Next Generation series is out now called One Girl in All the World. Woohoo! Yay! I'm waiting a year. <laughs> the year is I I I'm I can't believe it's already here. Yeah, we're we're so excited to have you back before we get into talking about the episode. I just want to chat a little bit about this book. What was it like, you know, getting into a sequel? Because I, th- I think when we talked to you about the first book, you had already written the sequel. How did it, how did it feel yeah. getting back into that world? You know, a lot like it felt the first time. Um, just going back to Buffy is always great. Going into Sunnydale is always fantastic. Everything's so familiar, and I know the characters so well. And after writing the first book, I felt like I knew the new Scoobies, almost as well as I knew the originals. So that made it a little bit easier. I wasn't having to figure out who everybody was and what their motivations were and how they were going to relate to each other because those relationships had been established in book one. Um, I kind of tried to approach it the same way as I did with the first book, which is like structured like a television season, you know, a, a really short truncated television season. So in every generation is book one. So that's like Frankie season one and one girl in all the world is book two. So it's like Frankie season two um, where the Scoobies are formed. She's starting to come into her powers and there needs to be another big bad just throwing a wrench into everything. Yeah, I really noticed that in this book. It, it Like you said, it felt like a season. There's that kind of development and growth. Um, I really enjoyed the relationship between Frankie and Haley in this one, because 
of course, you know, minor spoiler for the first book, but Haley's sister comes back. And, you know, we thought all the other Slayers had been killed. At least that was what we thought in the beginning of the first book. So Haley's sister being alive is kind of this big deal. And Haley's sister is not super keen on Haley hanging out with the new Scoobies. So I was like, ooh, is there going to be some conflict? Is Haley going to have these divided loyalties? And I really enjoyed seeing how that touched on Haley and Frankie's relationship. And then, of course, you know, Haley's got this relationship going on with Sigmund. And it's like, you know, how's Frankie going to deal with that? And it just, I don't know. It was uh, it was really hitting the uh, the Buffy Willow girl talk stuff from the early seasons of Buffy. Oh, that's fantastic to hear. I love the Buffy Willow girl talk in this series. Like, I think they did it so well. And you genuinely believe that Buffy and Willow were best friends and they were very good to each other. And when Frankie and Haley would sit together in one of their bedrooms, usually Haley's in this book, and I would just kind of let them go back and forth and have just talk. It really felt like these girls are going to be friends for the rest of their lives. And that was really cool. I haven't had the pleasure of reading it yet. We only got the one copy that, of course, would go to Kara, who is the avid reader between the two of us. Uh, but I was just, my interest was just peaked or just perked, I guess you could say, when you said there's a there's some sort of romance brewing between Sigmund, oh, that what I'm hearing. There's quite a lot of romance, Steph. <laughs> Frankie's got a thing for this like ancient hunter god thing. Of course. Yeah. So Grimlock is back. <laughs> Grimlock is back for Frankie. I think I think you would think it's very hot. Yes, I can already see <laughs> me thinking that. Oh, I'm so excited to read it. Um, I know you, you kind of discussed it a little bit here, but what is the overall plot for this one? Well, Frankie is continuing to defend the Hellmouth, but like Kara said, Vi Larson, one of the Slayers presumed dead, has turned up alive at the end of book one. So now they have to solve the mystery of okay, we thought everybody was dead. Are they not dead? If they're not dead, then where are they? Mm -hmm. And why won't Vi tell us what happened at the at the Slayer convention? So they have all of these like overreaching, overarching um, mysteries to solve. And at the same time, for some reason, the Hellmouth is starting to attract demons from Buffy's past. Mm -hmm. Like the famous demons of Buffy's past are making their way back to their hometown and Frankie has to learn how to deal with that as well. Not to mention, yes, there is quite a lot of love in the air. There are hormones <laughs> flying left, right, and center in this book. Um, Angel fans, I think, will really dig Grimlock. <laughs> Not only because, you know, he's the classic old demon that is like Slayer Catnip, um, but also because Spike projects a lot of his old Buffy and Angel issues onto Grimlock and basically like treats him like a new angel. So there's a lot of just spike hatred just flowing right at Frankie's new love interest, which I had a lot of fun with. Yeah, Spike, spike is delightful in this one. Um, Willow gets a new new old love interest, I guess you might say. Not Oz. That's what people might be thinking by me saying that. Lord Mollick. No, some, but I, I, if I'm remembering correctly, her love interest in this book, they had a thing going previously and then broke it off. Yes, an old flame returns to town, and uh, Willa doesn't quite know how to handle that. Yeah. She's been in mom mode for a while and kind of putting herself on the back burner, but it's time, it's time for some Willow care. 
I really like how you've managed to extrapolate how all these characters from the series might be, you know, 15, 16 years on, because I, I think we sometimes forget, like, that's a long period of time. And so I know when I read the first book, it took me a, a, a while to adjust in my head of like, hey, like these characters have grown up. These are not characters in their early 20s anymore. These are grown ass people with kids uh, and mortgages <laughs> and stuff. You know, and even somebody like Spike, who's been around even longer, like he's now had a soul for 16 years. So he's different, too. So I really like how you did that. And I, without giving anything away, I really like how you move forward the main series story arc with regards to the disappearance of the Slayers and kind of the the big bad behind that. I liked the reveal. I liked how you kind of explored the psychology uh, behind the big bad's motivations. Uh, I just, I found it so fascinating and enjoyable. And I think you really, like, as everything was unfolding, I was thinking to myself, I'm like, this is such a good successor to the next steps of Buffy lore, right? Like the series ended on this bombshell, which we won't talk about because this is a spoiler-free podcast, but the series ended on this bombshell. If the series had continued past, you know, that last season of Angel, again, we're just ignoring the comic books, um, <laughs> like how would they deal with it? And I think you've done a, such a good job of coming up with a creative and very reasonable kind of like, hey, like there are actually issues with what happens. Well, I'm I'm really glad you like it. Of course, now I feel a lot of pressure to stick the landing. I have one whole other book that I could take completely sideways. Feel pressure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Messing and, and kind of exploring that um, power dynamic, which actually this this episode that we're about to talk about discusses the power dynamic as well, was definitely on my mind when I was trying to think about, you know, motivations for the storyline that I'd been given um, about who the, the big bad would be. They just said like, they're them. And I was like, okay. Um, and then I needed to figure out, well, why? And it's, it's very plausible actually. Um, I'm also really glad to hear that you thought I, I handled the passage of time and the extrapolation of the original characters really well. That was a big concern with book one because as fans, we know that it's 16 years later, but at the same time, we don't want to feel like we've missed out on anything. All of these 16 years as a fan, I wish I would have been able to see, but I, I just have to kind of jump in. So there were some things that I kind of had to work out on the page in book one that in my brain, I was like, they would have dealt with this, you know, 15 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> they would have had these conversations like way before this, but I had to have them now so that as fans, we wouldn't feel like we were trying to catch up with all the developments. Well, uh, you brought up Checkpoint already saying that it kind of inspired some aspects of the book. Are we ready to get into the episode? I love this episode so much. <laughs> and I'm so excited, Kendara, that you're here to talk about it. I feel like you're going to have some really good perspective on, especially a lot of the Giles stuff, because you were here for a new man. And I feel like... You have a you have a mind for Giles. Does that make sense? 
I, I love Giles. Uh, you know, they say Giles hits different when you're an adult. And indeed he does. Ooh. Steph just did a TikTok about that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, just about how, uh, you know, when you're a teen, you can fight over the vampires all you want, right? But once you hit a certain age, you're like, you know what, though? It's always been Giles. Like, Giles is the one. <laughs> Yeah, so <laughs> getting into this episode, like you're saying, um, the power dynamic, and that's going to be like a huge theme of, that we talk about as, of course, the Watcher's Council is back. There's also a power dynamic between Buffy and her professor, another terrible professor at Sunnydale U- University. <laughs> and then that we are introduced to this whole other institution, which is this uh, brotherhood or this this knight ship yeah, I forget the, the knights name. of byzantium <laughs> right so so i'm really excited to hear what you both think about the power dynamics that are just coming out of nowhere for poor buffy and she's still going through her breakup this is a talky episode and usually i complain because i yeah, write the that, notes i wrote that down in my notes i'm well especially the opening the opening has no action in it which is very unusual for buffy yeah and like usually i complain don't i cara that i'm like oh it's such a talky because i gotta type it all out you complain all the time (laughs) i'm i just said i'm pregnant and i'm uncomfortable (laughs) i just i I complain but um (laughs) you haven't been pregnant for this whole podcast what was your excuse before that i was gonna be pregnant (laughs) (laughs) the pregnancy is retroactive yeah exactly (laughs) don't you forget it um, I wasn't complaining while writing out my notes for this episode because the dialogue is chef's kiss and it's just really, really enjoyable. So let's get into it. All right. So we got to do a previously on Buffy. We got to remember that Quentin Travers, who is the leader of the Watchers Council, put Buffy through the Cruciamentum in season three, and then he fired Giles and then Buffy fired him <laughs> at the end of that season. Uh, good times. We also have to remember the bane of my existence, which was the end of Triangle, which was last episode, that Dawn overheard Buffy talking about how Dawn is the key, just out in the open, just shouts it, shuts it in her in her dining room with Joyce and, and Giles. So we know that Dawn is on to something. Unsure when this episode opens after the last one. It could be the next day. My assumption is within a day or two. But we open up on the Summer's home where, once again, the Scoobies decide to have an open meeting, no closed doors. Like, I guess they kind of close the living room door, but it's not really. Uh, <laughs> they, they just they're gonna have a Scooby meeting there for, for no reason other than that they want to. Buffy is reminding us that things have been a bit chaotic at the Summer's home, right? Joyce had her surgery. Joyce is now home from surgery. But she hasn't been able to clean up, really. She's been busy. And then she also finds uh, uh, Riley's army sweater was just like on the ground. <laughs> oh, no. What's he going to do without it? <laughs> right? <laughs> How he went all the way to, where did he go? Brazil? No. Belize. Belize. <laughs> without his sweater. And was it his turtleneck sweater? The one that covered up his his sins, his, his <laughs> suck jobs? Um very quick little thing at the very beginning of this episode to remind us what's been going on. Lots have been going on at the Summer's House lately. So Giles has news. The Watchers Council has found information about Glory that will help them, and they're coming to Sunnydale. Yay. <laughs> Woot. Uh, Buffy is like, that's her 
stands, right? She's just like, why? <laughs> like, why are they coming? And Xander says, don't they have phones? Hello, Buffy. Here's some stuff we didn't we know. Pip, pip. Oh, so, sorry. That just reminded me of one other thing I needed to compliment Kendara about. I appreciate how for the second book in a row, Xander only appears by telephone. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> We love that choice. Tara actually brings up something that perhaps a new, someone who just decided to tune into Buffy this season wouldn't know, right? She says, well, why is it a bad thing if the Watchers are count, are coming? Watchers are just like Giles, right? And Buffy says they're scary and horrible. And Giles says their, their agenda is the same as ours. Save the world and kill demons. And that's when Anya pipes in and she's like, kill the current demons, right? And uh, Buffy doesn't trust them, obviously because they put her through that test and it almost killed her. And uh, she also said that they tried to get me when I was faith. So <laughs> lots has happened. And honestly, she really can't handle almost being killed right now. And Tara's cute. Tara's cute here. She's just like a little voice of reason. She's like, well, if they're English, you know, I thought they would be gentle and normal people. <laughs> and Buffy says that they're going to screw everything up. It's a delicate time right now. She has to take care of Dawn. And Xander asks, well, that's not new. You've always had to take care of Dawn. And taking in Xander's appearance here, I was actually shocked that there was a continuation from the last episode. Uh, remember, Kara? I was like, Xander should be dead. Xander got hit. I mean, if I had my way, Xander would be dead a long time ago. <laughs> but Xander got hit by that troll, that tr that troll hammer in his face and he's all he's got to show for it here is a broken arm it looks like well i mean his he did break his hand and a cut on Xander his head has a strong workers compensation claim brewing <laughs> how can he possibly build shelves with his hand in that in that situation buffy dances around her answers and guess who's dropping eaves at the stairs it's dawn of course of course she's still at the stairs listening in and joyce comes down with her fabulous bandana in her hair and she says, go back to bed. And Buffy's like, Dawn, are you listening? <laughs> and Dawn's like, I can get a snack if I want to. And she goes upstairs. And Buffy starts freaking out. She's like, oh my God, she was listening. She, we could be saying stuff that she doesn't, shouldn't hear. And I was like, Buffy, it's a little late for that. <laughs> like, you've, you keep having these secret meetings about Dawn in front of Dawn's face. So she, of course she's going to listen in. So I just want to point out when Xander says, you know, this is not new. You've always taken care of her. That's supposed to be our reminder, right? That the rest of the Scoobies don't know that Dawn is the key, that Dawn has been inserted retroactively, a retcon in the universe. As far as the rest of the Scoobies are concerned, this is normal. You know, them meeting at Buffy's house, Dawn eavesdropping, Buffy complaining about Dawn. This is the way it's always been. But in Buffy's mind, this is an extra variable she's not used to handling anymore, even though she also has all the memories. So it must be really weird kind of like knowing that some of your memories, you can't trust them. And what do we think about what Dawn overheard in Triangle? Because very blatantly, Buffy said, they don't know Dawn's the key, right? <laughs> and uh, she did hear that. So now she's decided, I guess, to go and continue snooping. Well, if this were now, she would just like Google it and then fall down the rabbit hole of conspiracy theory websites about what the key is. But I guess back then, yeah, like she doesn't know that she's made up, right? Like she, all she knows is maybe like there's something special about her or she has something that the big bad wants. Yeah, I imagine that in her in her diary, there's a whole passage that just says key, literal or figurative. Like that's, <laughs> that's like Don's big 
big conundrum at the moment. Yeah. Mm. And we've, we've known like the past uh, couple episodes, she's brought up to Buffy before that she's starting to notice people treat her differently. Um, in listening to fear, she specifically said, you know, the guy at the hospital and that the crazy man outside the magic shop and even her mom, when she was out of it during when the tumor was pressing on her brain, they, they treat her differently. They act like she's not supposed to be there. So she, there's more than just what Buffy said that's cluing her into something being different. And yeah, who amongst us hasn't Googled whether or not you're the key? Like I did, just to, <laughs> just to be sure. You know, like, don't, don't all teenage girls at one point or another think they are the most important person in the universe? Is that not how it works? That's not even a teenage girl thing. That's just, that's just a person thing. That's a you thing. That's a, that sounds like a me thing. <laughs> anyway, Giles says that the council knows about Glory. Right. So they'll they'll maybe have an idea of how to deal with her because right now they're lost. So we cut to Glory, who's looking really ill and sweaty and she's struggling on the floor of her fabulous condo. And Drag, like my favorite character of the season, um, has a new minion friend and they are dragging in a postal service worker who's screaming for them to let her let him go. Uh, Glory is pulled over to him. She digs her fingers into his head. Uh, we get that like shiny light look that we saw back when we first met her. And she falls over and she's good as new. She looks great again. And the postman is now all pale and sweaty and insane. So wait, is Glory a zombie? Because she's eating brains, right? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. I wonder what people would think she is now. Like, it's hard because we know because <laughs> we've we've seen the show. But yeah, at this point, you're kind of like, what is like what this is, she is doing? a fairly disturbing scene. If you haven't, if you don't know who Gloria is, if you you don't know that this is him, her ammo, right? Like, she's literally sucking this guy's brains out, and then that stabilizes her. Mm-hmm. Is she responsible for what's been happening to all the people filling up the psych ward in Sunnydale Hospital? And what is her connection to intern Ben? We need we we have we need answers here. I don't know. <laughs> Besides both of them being incredibly good looking. The minion the minions are like, we live to serve as always. And uh, Drag brings the postman out and the other one is talking to Glory, telling her, like, we need to use the key quickly. And Glory's like, Yeah, yeah, I've been cooling my heels in this crappy little town long enough that Mousy the vampire slayer knows where the key is. And the minion reminds her that she doesn't have a lot of time left. And Glory's like, baby, if that girl's the only thing between me and my key, I don't need much time. Do, do, do. Oh, the overconfidence of Buffy Big Bads. We are at the magic shop. And again, I, I, you know me and timing. How long has it been? Because Giles' store was absolutely trashed <laughs> last time we left it. So that's why I can only assume it's been a couple of days because Giles definitely would have needed it to go in there rebuild those shelves the glass is all back right like lots of work to be done there maybe sunnydale just has like really responsive contractors not like here in thunder bay where you know you gotta call like six different contractors to for one of them to maybe come and give you a quote when they feel like it but in sunnydale maybe like because of all the damage that happens all the time (laughs) contractors are just like on it yeah perhaps they moved from the bronze straight to the magic shop because the troll also forgot about the bronze (laughs) the troll also severely damaged the bronze (laughs) and and all the streets of sunnydale let's be honest how do insurance companies even work in sunnydale (laughs) (laughs) i don't know but remember you and i had speculated 
that uh, Joyce is having an affair with one of the contractors, like the the head of one of the contracting people, because her house often gets trashed as well. And it's cleaned up really quickly. So it's a good thing. It's a good thing because the Watchers Council has arrived at the magic shop. Yay. <laughs> Woo. And Giles is so irked by this. And um, it's not just Quinton Travers, right? It's like he's got a whole entourage of, of watchers with him. What they start doing is they fan out into the store to look around, or at least pretend to look around. And uh, Quinton and Giles make small talk about the shop. And he mentions that there's a back room. And Quinton's like, yes, perhaps. Uh, like, I thought you were keeping space for the dangerous items that could be ke- should be kept out of the public's hands. Maybe you don't worry about that. Like, he's so condescending, this guy. One watcher's behind the counter where Anya is. And he's like, most of this stuff couldn't harm anyone. But there are some things. And a blonde woman watcher points out that there are a number of things that could be dangerous, including a statue that has the power to melt your eyeballs when triggered. Giles makes a joke that he underpriced it. So... I know we're supposed to side with Giles, right? Like, yeah, get these guys out of here. I don't even think they're actually, they're making up excuses. They are always going to go in there and kick everybody out, obviously. But I was like, you know, they're kind of right. Like, like Giles does sell dangerous products. Like, he sold them to Glory <laughs> a couple episodes ago. And like, you know, I, don't, I think this blonde woman's giving me like Gwendolyn Post vibes. But um, I was like, mm, they got a little bit of a point there, Giles. You could be, you're lucky but you have Anya with you. Steph, this is America, where the only retail products they get locked up are razors, black hair care products, and birth control pills. <laughs> Everything else, it's a free-for-all. Yeah, yeah. But we know they're just pretending. They're, you know, they're like, oh, mm, this is dangerous. We should kick everybody out. But they're always going to do that. So they do it, right? They kick everybody out. All the customers are to leave. Anya's like, Giles, like customers, money. Like, please bring your money back to everyone as they leave. <laughs> Can I just note, like, aside from the contracting being a really lucrative job, apparently being a magic shop owner <laughs> in Sunnydale is also an extremely lucrative job. There are like 25 freaking customers in that store at this random time <laughs> of day. Who is buying this many crystal balls? Like how many witches... <sighs> exists in this town i was impressed that's a really good point like sunnydale is smaller than thunder bay which is where i live we have about a hundred thousand people i don't think there's any local business in thunder bay that has that many people in it except at like peak holiday shopping time at like 10 a.m on a tuesday or whenever this is i just really like the salutation please bring your money back i feel like we should adopt that in customer service it's very honest <laughs> i agree but yeah, it's too bad the the council is really getting in the way of Giles' success here, right? And and Giles says it. He's like, you were going to do this before you even saw the place, right? He calls them out. And Quentin says, I'm sorry. It's just for the duration of the council's review. And Anya's like, you're the council? Well, welcome to our store. We're closed now. I'll be in the back. And Quentin like, asks her, like, oh, you work here? And she's like... Yes, I do. Ever since I moved here from southeastern Indiana, where I was raised by both a mother and a father. <laughs> so Giles, he's just go, go away. And then he tells him, no one told me there was going to be a review. And Quentin just like ignores him, walks past him. He's like, let's sit and talk about it. So Quentin sits at the, at the store table and the watchers all gather around him and Giles. Quentin unzips his pants and just drops trowel on the table. <laughs> Because he's like, okay, we got to measure penises here. (laughs) 
<laughs> or just show you how big mine is, right? That's basically what he does for the most of this episode. But the other watchers eat it up, right? Because like the one woman like makes him tea. The other one like hands him a folder. Like obviously they're all his his little helpers. Quinton says, you used to respect us, Giles. You used to be one of us. And Giles says, you used to pay me. If you recall, fire me was not my idea. <laughs> I love a sassy Giles. Quinton's like, touche. He says, you were on the inside once and know what sort of resources we command. We've discovered information on this creature, your glory. Some of it is clearly vital and the rest merely extremely disturbing. It won't be handed over until we are convinced you and your slayer are prepared for it. And Giles is like, she will not go through another one of your insane tests. And Quinton says, it's not a test. It's a check of her methods. We need to know that this information is safe. And Giles says, you could trust her. Buffy's come very far recently. She's acquired a remarkable focus. <laughs> so we cut to Buffy yawning in class. <laughs> uh, same lecture hall that uh, Professor Walsh used because Car and I have noticed, Kendara, that there is only one class at a time at Sunnydale University. It's always in this lecture hall <laughs> and Buffy's in all of them. <laughs> this uh, this um, is some sort of history class, obviously, because they're talking about Buffy Rasputin. seems to be doing a history degree now. Have you noticed that? It's always history class. In first year, it was Psychology 101 was the only class because she was kicked out of that other guy's class. <laughs> For She's being kicked out of this one too. <laughs> but yeah, so this this semester she's just taken all these history courses. Uh sometimes with Willow, sometimes with Tara, and this one clearly alone. So the professor is talking about how it was nearly impossible for Rasputin to be killed. And Buffy mumbles to herself, nearly impossible. So the professor is like he like hears her and he makes her stand up and talk. And she does. And Buffy says, well, they poisoned him, they beat him, they shot him, he didn't die. There are reported sightings of him as late as the 1930s. Yeah, that's because he's Russia's greatest love machine. It's in the song. <laughs> wow, they really don't know that song very well at all. But Buffy does. So the professor says, there is a near consensus in the academic community regarding the death of Rasputin. And Buffy says, there's also a near consensus about Columbus until someone asked the Vikings what they were up to in the 1400s, and they're discovering this America-shaped continent. So I'm only saying it might be interesting if we came at it from a different perspective. So here, are we thinking that Buffy is assuming Rasputin was a vampire? Could be. Some sort of evil creature. Could be. It's worth exploring. It is. And the thing is, like, Buffy knows... Her stuff. I mean, I don't think she can announce it to her class, but I think she has a right to question like, okay, so you did all these things and he didn't die. What else is going on? So the professor gets this like, he gets offended. <laughs> He's like, I'm sorry if you find these facts so boring, Miss Summers. Maybe you prefer I step aside so you can teach your own class. Speculation 101, perhaps? Intro to flights of fancy? And the class laughs at these very terrible jokes. Kara, you're a teacher, right? Like, shouldn't this teacher be happy that Buffy <laughs> is engaged in the lecture and asking questions about it, that someone actually cares? Well, Steph, what you need to understand is there are two types of teachers. This is true for high school teachers as well as university professors, although I think university professors tend to care a little less about teaching. They really <laughs> just want to do research. You have some teachers who just want everybody to be quiet and listen to them talk. And I think that's what this guy is like. And then you have the other teachers who 
are under the delusion that they're somehow possibly going to inspire their students to learn more if they just kind of like, you know, say, I'm a cool teacher and I, we don't have to worry about the curriculum. And, you know, I'm going to get you standing on your desk and tearing pages out of the textbook. And, you know, uh, you're going to learn something in this class, but the real world. So you kind of have those two extremes. And this guy's clearly in the first camp where he doesn't actually care about teaching. He's just there because that's what he needs to do to keep his tenure. <laughs> Again, teachers like this, I hope they don't exist. They might. He's not as bad as the one from the freshman. I feel like this is a very realistic portrayal, especially when it comes to like old white men being sexist and misogynistic, <laughs> right? Like, and, and this reminds me of last week with Triangle, where we're like, men, stop telling Buffy how she should think and what she should do. Like, just so condescending. And, and I mean, to be fair, like, I'm not saying Buffy's out of line. I think it's great that Buffy is engaged. I, I do have that sympathy of like, you always have that one student who's like, like her arguments, her ideas are not very well founded here. I think there's a large difference between criticizing how we conceptualize the quote unquote discovery of the Americas versus uh, how we talk about the historicity of like Rasputin's life and the fact that, you know, there's like a lot of good documentation from that time, but it doesn't excuse how this professor acts, mm -hmm. right? He's an older white. He kind of looks like Quentin Travers. <laughs> and I feel yeah. like the, the episode's really trying to set up this parallel of like, it's not just that Buffy's standing up to authority, but she's specifically standing up to the representatives, the avatars, if you will, of power in our society who tend to be old, white, upper middle class men with fancy titles and degrees who think that they know best and everybody else should just sit down and be quiet and follow their instructions. It's it's interesting that they brought this aspect of that into this episode because there's already a lot of that with the Watchers Council on its own. So to see Buffy facing this in her education now, that's an angle I don't think they had to bring in, but it's interesting but, that they did. But Steph, my question for you is, is Buffy sucking energy from the room? I mean, you're sucking energy out of everyone in this room. Uh <laughs> you're so, you just you always know when I'm fishing for you to do an impression. <laughs> so let's let's cut up let's cut over to Buffy taking out her rage on a large vampire in the cemetery that night. You know, she's like reliving her fight with the professor. She's like, Miss Summers, some of us are here to learn, professor. And she's like beating up this vampire. And the vampire's like, Who are you talking to? <laughs> And he, he hits Buffy back at one point and Spike comes out of nowhere. Spike leaps over the vampire and stakes him. And Buffy's like, why did you do that? And Spike says, not for money. If that's what you're thinking, your heart, heartfelt gratitude's plenty. Expect I'll be getting that any moment. And Buffy's oh like, gratitude God. for getting in my way. And Spike says, I saved you. You needed help. And Buffy says, I didn't need you. I never need you, Spike. Yes. He's so pathetic here. Also, I love it when Buffy works out her issues on some random vampire. Yes. That's just like, I feel like that is something that every Slayer would do at some point. You have a bad day. Let's go pound a random <laughs> vampire and talk about it with them. It's her therapy. So she has a right for, to get mad at Spike for getting in the way. Well, that's, that's kind of like what Frankie is doing in 
one girl in all the world, right? Like she's really getting into the the nightly patrolling and the slaying and stuff, right? Yeah, there is there is one point in it that she is just pounding on a random vampire, and he's like, "Are you having a bad day? Like, what's going yeah. on?" Yeah, I'm I'm not gonna say these poor vampires, but it's kind of like, oh man, these vampires just don't have any context. <laughs> it, it's like Buffy should have staked this guy like two minutes before the scene started, but she's just been prolonging it for him. It's like how we also like make fun of like sometimes, you know, like the Gorch brothers in that in Bad Eggs where it's like they think they're the main character. I'm the main villain here. This is my fight with the Slayer. But she's she's not even thinking about (laughs) this particular vampire. She's just wailing on him to get her energy out. So Spike gets in the way of that. Buffy tells him off. I love it. And she storms away and Spike follows her. And he's like, oh, I get it. You just don't like who did the rescuing. Wishing I was your boyfriend. What's his height? Oh, wait, he ran off. So leave it to Spike to keep bringing up Riley. Everyone else is done talking about Riley, Spike. You're the only one that keeps bringing him up. And Buffy says she doesn't need a boyfriend to rescue her or for any other reason. Yeah, girl. And Spike says don't need or can't keep you keep making notches in the headboard but eventually they get up and run off don't they again the show is making this point through spike that like buffy i guess needs to have a man like if she's single something's up with buffy right a 19 year old girl cannot possibly be single buffy tells him that he's disgusting and he is because he's really trying i don't know what he's trying to do here besides knock her down a peg in terms of her he's nagging her Yeah, Yeah. he's nagging her. I feel like we just watched Spike invent nagging. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. So he's trying to make her feel insecure so that she'll talk to him more. Spike says, rough talk. Maybe that's your problem. You push them away or maybe you cling too much. Or maybe your beauty's fading. Stress of slaying. Make up your mind, Spike. (laughs) Stress of slaying, aging you prematurely. Things not as high, not as firm. Uh, And Buffy's... She's Why are you being gross? I I know why. We know why. Um, And Buffy says, the more I get to know you, the more I wish I didn't. And Spike says, maybe you just don't hold their interest. And he walks away. So sexist Spike, this is really, really hard to watch you nag uh, Buffy in this way, only because we already know that Buffy's feeling insecure about her breakup. And that's why he's doing this, right? Yeah. I've made points about, you know, Spike commenting on aging women's bodies, right? How he's saying it's gross, devaluing, you know, women of age um, or as they age. But I I wanted to say that this reminded me of an article I read and wasn't recently. It was way before we did the podcast. And somebody had made this point that as both shows, Buffy and Angel, continued on, I remember very distinctly because it was like the the subheader. It was... Angel lost his cheekbones and Buffy lost her boobs. And I just like this conversation reminded me of that really gross headline. Cause it's like, it's, it's okay for people's bodies to change as they get older, but also why do you need to comment on it? Yeah. What I think is really interesting is how this scene juxtaposes the previous scene, because you'll notice both scenes have a man putting down Buffy. In the first scene, the professor is belittling belittling Buffy's intellect, saying that she's stupid, that she doesn't understand history and academics and, you know, how to have a proper argument or debate about these topics. In this scene, Spike is, uh, you know, uh, putting down Buffy's appearance and her body. So I think it's really interesting that we've now seen two different men trying to put down Buffy 
both for her brain and for her body. It's like she can't win, right? Mm-hmm. And after that extremely insightful commentary, I'm going to offer a really shallow piece and just <laughs> note that when I was watching this, I'm like, costume designers, is this like angel cosplay? <laughs> like she was in that huge like leather duster thing. I'm like, what is happening here? This doesn't look like something that she normally... <laughs> no, well, thank you for bringing that up though, because I was thinking the same thing. I wanted to make a similar point er- earlier, which is throughout this episode, Buffy's wardrobe is very muted. Right. We're not seeing a lot of the bright colors. Like I think uh, last week in Triangle, she had that nice purple. The fuchsia interview outfit. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. In this episode, it's all blacks and grays. You know, later in the episode, she's wearing the long overcoat with the the toque on. Right. (laughs) Like, and I think part of it, it, it's supposed to be pathetic fallacy for this is her mood. She's dealing with a breakup. She's dealing with the stress of, uh, taking care of her mom and and Dawn and dealing with Glory and the Watchers Council, she's not feeling bright and peppy and beautiful, and she's feeling pragmatic and dark and like kind of rough, and it's coming across in her outfit. So yeah, I completely agree with you, Kendara. And it's the men's fault they're making her feel this way. It's always their fault. It's always their fault. Speaking of men who apparently are at fault for, like, I mean, speak, speaking of men who've just, like, gotten away with murder and nobody ever holds them accountable. <laughs> well, he is in How to Get Away with Murder, so he would know. Um, we're talking about Ben, the sexy intern, of course, because <laughs> he's at the hospital and one of the new minion, Glory's new minion, pulls him into a room. And Ben knows this guy, as we already know, because he murdered those people in Listening to Fear. Um, and we saw him talking to Drag. So here he's saying, don't touch me. You're crusty. What do you want? That's not a very nice bedside manner. I'm sure Ben has to deal with a lot of crusty patients. Is that what he says to them? <laughs> I, I hope so. Well, he remember before we found out that he's somehow connected to Glory, we just assumed that he was a Nepo baby, that his dad owns the hospital. <laughs> I'm still assuming that. Yeah, nothing's told us otherwise. The minion says, the magnificent Glory wants more information on the Slayer. She knows you know her. And Ben's like, I don't know the Slayer. And the minion says, she's short, symmetrical, hair on top, Buffy something. And Ben's like, Buffy's the Slayer? How does Glory know this? And minion says, "Um, I don't know. I wasn't there. But the beauteous Glory said for you to tell us where her dwelling is, who her friends are. And Ben says, why? So Glory can find her, do something to her? Why would I do that? And the minion says, she says to tell you to do it for her. That was her message. And Ben says, well, I have a message for Glory too. This would be so much easier for Glory nowadays with social media. Just look Buffy up online. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) Kendar, what was it like writing a book in a time with cell phones and social media and stuff? There's definitely more to consider. Yeah, yeah cell phones and uh, location trackers and GPS and all this other stuff. It, it adds a new dimension. Well, I'll yeah. never forget the Instagram monster from her first book. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I also think it's like, you want to be careful not to write out the technology just for the convenience of not having it. But it's also like, sometimes it's a question of other media makes us think technology is more magical than it actually is. Cause like how many of these shows are like, yeah, we can just track them on their phones. When like in reality, like, yeah, sometimes you can do that, but sometimes it's just not realistic. So then when you don't do that in your writing, people are like, well, why didn't the character just do this? And you're like, because they actually can't. (laughs) It's like how CSI and those other uh, crime shows 
have convinced people that you can just do magical stuff with DNA evidence and courtrooms are getting really annoyed with that. <laughs> True. I just wanted to ask uh, the opinions here on what do we think about this whole like Ben glory connection thing? Like why is glory so obsessed with like getting Ben to do her dirty work? Why can't glory just send her minions to do it? Why can't they just follow Buffy home from the hospital? Like, how hard is it to track Buffy? That's a good point. The Queller demon could do it. <laughs> just attach itself to their car and drive home with them, so... Nobody would ever look. <laughs> I was also really distracted by the hospital, and, like, I couldn't stop looking at the x-rays that were just left up in this room. <laughs> you know, behind them, I'm like, what's with that guy's colon? Like, <laughs> do we just leave people's... Yeah, okay. Yeah. Right. Sunnydale Hospital. The chatty doctor does that all the time. <laughs> yeah, I'm not surprised. He brings people into the room. He's like, Do you want to hear about these people's illnesses? Because I'll tell you. <laughs> oh, are you just passing by? Well, let me tell you about this patient's life. He would get in so much trouble with TikTok. Oh, absolutely. He'd be making absolutely. TikToks about people in real time. He'd be like, yo, you know, like in front of people's beds, being like, this guy's <laughs> this guy's got a cancer. <laughs> okay, you guys, update. <laughs> Story time. Yeah, I feel like, though, he would really, like the, the hospital would make sense to hire him to do the hospital's TikToks because everyone would watch them. Like the Sunnydale, we've talked about this before. Sunnydale Hospital needs to have its own Grey's Anatomy series. Because yes, we want to see all the magical ailments that happen on this Hellmouth. It would be epic. Kandara, can you convince Disney to have you write another spinoff series where it's just set in Sunnydale Hospital? <laughs> that would be uh, super fun. I think, you know, I'll talk to Lily Anderson about it. You know, maybe <laughs> we can collaborate. A collab. That would be so fun. We would love that so much. We are back at the magic shop. Uh, Buffy enters after, you know, beating on these vampires and sparring with Spike verbally. She sees Quentin Travers in the council there and she turns to leave. She's just like, bad day, bad <laughs> day, which I love this reaction. Um, Quentin stops her short, calls her inside. Uh, he says, you know, Giles was just telling us about your training regimen. Perhaps you'll favor us with a demonstration while we're here. And Giles cuts in and says, they're staying longer than I anticipated. Which is like, where are they staying? Are they staying at Giles' house? <laughs> they're staying at the magic shop. Did, did they just show up? They're like, yeah, you don't mind if we crash here, right? <laughs> so Quentin says, we've laid out our project for Mr. Giles. And a watcher named Nigel, very British, interrupts and says, it's an exhaustive examination of your procedures and abilities. We'll observe your training talk to your friends. Quentin says, we understand you're still taking civilians out on your patrols. And Buffy's you know, starting to get annoyed because she's a very short fuse at this point. She's had a lot of men on the mind today. <laughs> uh, she says, you've got to be kidding me. So starting to give Quentin the tood. And uh, Quentin says, oh, Giles hasn't reminded you of the, the relative status of the players in our little game. He says, the council fights evil. The slayer is the instrument by which we fight. The council remains. The slayers change. Being that way from the beginning. Ooh. That's a threat, right? He's Ooh. saying that if you don't play ball, we'll make sure that we have a slayer who does. Oh, and when he calls Buffy an instrument, and like just now we were talking about all these men belittling her 
taking her down a couple of pegs. And here he is. He's like, you're not even a, a player in the game. You're not even a person. You're just our tool. And we've speculated that's what they think for five seasons now. But there's the proof. You're just a tool to us. Ooh. Uh, so Giles chimes in and says, well, that's a very comforting, bloodless way of looking at it. And Quentin says, let me talk to Buffy. <laughs> He's like, let the adults talk here, Giles. Uh, because I think she's understanding me. Glory is stronger than you, he says to Buffy. She's a more powerful instrument. <laughs> so, you know, once again, right? And, and I'm curious, I wonder, it, would Quentin talk about her if she were a man? If mm -hmm. you were presenting as a man, would he use that same language? Or is he also speaking about glory in this way because it's very gendered? Yeah. I mean, we'll never know, but it's it's a great point. Like, if they were talking about the mayor, would it have the same kind of angle to it? Hmm. I mean, did they not know about the mayor that whole time? Like, he's been around <laughs> in Sunnydale for like 100 years. The Watchers Council says they're all that. but Wesley would have kept them informed even after Buffy fired them. Oh. <laughs> uh. So Quentin has now, that was the stick. Quentin now dangles the carrot. He says, we can help you. We have information that will help. Pass our review and we give it to you without reservation. Fail the review, either through incompetence or resisting our recommendations. And Giles cannot help himself. Giles is, as you said earlier, incredibly sassy and we are here for it. Giles interrupts and says, oh, so she fails if we don't do whatever you say. How much under your thumb do you think we are? And Quentin replies, how much do you want our help? And Giles goes off. He says, she's not your bloody instrument and you have no right to do any of this. And I'm loving the emotion from Tony. Yes, Kennedy. yes, yes, yes. And like, what a change from when he kind of blindly followed and helpless. And we know that he felt bad about that. We know he made amends, but here he's proving it, right? He's like, no. I am 100% on Buffy's side. It's been two years since then. That's my kid. Fuck you. <laughs> you know? He's he's uh, he's woke now. <laughs> <laughs> you know? He was he was, uh, was kind of like Riley. And uh, he was just going along and following orders, being a good company man. And now he's realized there's more. More to life than just following orders. Mm -hmm. uh, so Quentin says, there are factors which should motivate you to go along with the review. I don't want to do this, but obviously we could shut this place down permanently. Oof. Buffy's like, you don't have that kind of power. And Quentin's like, of course we do. And then he threatens to deport Giles within the day, never set foot in this country again. Um, and he says, you know, like you might be used to idle threats. So now he's putting down all of America. He's like, you guys don't even know how to threaten people properly. <laughs> Uh, he's like, you're dealing with grownups now, i.e. proper, you know, proper English folks. You're dealing with men. Am I making myself clear? Buffy just stares at him. And that is the end of this scene. So we had, that was, that was your nightly intimidation for you. <laughs> wow. To threaten Giles, to threaten to deport him. It's like, pff, makes me so mad. But also it's like, I wonder why they didn't um, come for Buffy sooner than this. Right. Like it's been two years because they didn't they, they didn't care about Buffy. Right. Mm. So like I, I thought about this because I, I, I had a similar thought as you. But I was like, when Buffy fired them, they had their hands full. You know, they had to deal with the whole fallout from Faith. They probably thought, hey, fine, she's not going to survive long. And I think they're probably sur 
surprised that she has continued to survive this long without them. Maybe give it another couple of years, and even without a glory situation, they would have come back to her in some capacity, tried to like bring her back into the fold. But as it is, I think they saw the glory situation as an opportunity, mm -hmm. right? When Giles came knocking, came begging for information, uh, they must have had a backroom meeting, and Quentin's like, okay, here's how we're going to play this. Mm -hmm. And I guess, like, also, Buffy was still in high school last time they were dealing with her, right? So here she is, two years later, a woman. <laughs> and that's why he's saying, like, now we're grown, like, this is how grownups talk to each other. So uh, you and I have been talking all season about how this season is more mature, how we're seeing a maturity and not just the storylines and the plots that they're using, but in the characters. So I think this is a really good depiction of that. This is the season where Buffy grows up. You know, I said that in Listening to Fear. Um, with Buffy crying into the dishes while you know because she can't deal with her mom being sick, this episode has something similar happening at the end of the episode where, or sorry, not even at the end, in um, one of the forthcoming scenes, we have another kind of moment where it's like Buffy's really grown up now, and it, that's why I love this episode so much. It's just so powerful because you're seeing Buffy's transformation from adolescence to adulthood like in real time. It's just wow. And dealing with an adult threat, right? This is not a supernatural threat. This is a, like a legit bureaucratic threat, right? Like we're going to deport your dad. <laughs> so, I mean, he said it over and over again, right? We're grownups now, we're grownups. So um, having this threat that's so unlike what we're used to seeing Buffy threatened with is really, really intriguing. Uh, speaking of threats, let's go to Glory's condo because the minion has arrived back. And this minion's name is Jinx. And I want, I'm like, where's Drag? Like, why, why you got to replace Drag with Jinx? Uh, but um, he's all beat up and he's bleeding. And um, Glory's like, what happened to your face? And he says, it's a message from Ben. He isn't going to help. And Glory is taken back by this. She's like, is, isn't going to help? All he has to do is turn over that tiny squirmy Slayer girl. If she knows where I can start looking for my key. And then she gets frustrated and she's like, why won't he help me? He knows her. He could go to her. He could talk to her. He could seduce her and bang the key out of her. <laughs> Wouldn't we love to see that? No. Uh, so <laughs> Jinx says he is quite attractive. <laughs> And Glory's like, of course he's attractive, but he drives me insane. And then Glory like nuzzles up to Jinx, like cuddles with him. And he's like, his hands are up because we know the minions really, they understand consent. No, he respects consent. <laughs> I'm backing away. Like they're very... <laughs> I love that. these guys. <laughs> they're my favorite minions so far. I want to know more about their backstory. <laughs> like where do they come from, right? What do they do when Glory's not around? <laughs> But that's why I like I like Drag more than Jinx because Drag really laid on the compliments, right? He's like, you're my shiny smooth one. Like he was very good with that. That's why you want somebody to say to you. Yeah, right, now, right? right? I mean, I should show my husband uh, these minions. Be like, this is how you need to treat me as I grow our child. Have we found the only unproblematic male characters in Buffy? <laughs> Other than the fact that they're they're working for evil. <laughs> They, they really respect women. I don't, I don't know if that's a problem. <laughs> I mean, we've seen worse in this show. Who among us has not worked for evil? <laughs> no ethical labor under capitalism, right? <sighs> I mean, yeah, I can't. I'm not innocent of that at all. So I'm no better than Jinx. So Glory is saying, you're the only one that understands, probably because I haven't sucked your brain out yet. 
he makes me so mad if I could just get my hands on him, you know? I guess I'll have to find her myself. So yeah, there, this is where I made my note, right? I was like, it's so interesting that Ben wants to protect Buffy. We we don't know why he's not giving Glory information. It could just be to stick it to Glory. Well, and why can't Glory get her hands on him, right? Like, yeah. is it because he's the son of Sunnydale Hospital's president or something? I don't understand. <laughs> is this nepotism in action again? They do strike me. I mean, if I were to take a guess, I don't like, hey, I don't know what's going on here. They have a sibling vibe. I would guess that they were siblings. So is Ben also a demon? Well, I mean, he just laid a painful beatdown on that poor little minion. So <laughs> definitely, you know, an edge to the guy who could beat down a minion who, if you think about it, do you think Jenks put up any kind of struggle during that no. whole exchange? He just sat he there. He probably asked for more. He's probably like, and, thank yeah. you. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> you hit really well. Thank you, Ben. I'll bring this message back right away. I'm sorry like, if my face cold. was too hard on your hands. <laughs> yeah, that you gotta you gotta be a real cold customer to beat down a person like that. Yeah, it's true. The 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 sweetest, lumpiest minions out there. Oh, <laughs> uh, so okay, Buffy and Giles. This is a great scene. Mm-hmm. They're they're talking at the magic shop after the council's left, presumably to go to their hotel rooms. Uh, Giles is saying that it's a power play. That's what it is. It's all about who has the power and that's such a powerful little quote from giles that you know we could easily overlook but that's the whole point well i was i was i was gonna be a little bit harsher on giles and say really giles what makes you think that (laughs) go on sir a little bit obvious (laughs) it is but i like that that's how they're starting off this scene right because at the end of the day that is what it's about so so giles is pissed and he says i should have set you loose on him that's what i should have done (laughs) But then Giles, then you're just using her as a tool, just like the the Watcher's Council. So careful there. Buffy says that this Travers guy is like, what, 60? I can't hit him. Can I? (laughs) I love that. I love that line. Can she, you guys? Do you think think that Buffy could? Because I I feel like that's a little bit of faith slipping out. You know, it's like, let's solve our problem through violence. Can I just punch something? Can I just punch this guy? (laughs) I think it's fine. I don't care that he's 60 years old. Punch him. That's that's my my opinion. Buffy says, can they really kick you out of the country? And Giles says in a heartbeat. So he kind of explains how this works, right? He says, you know, when it comes to the violent stuff, the rough stuff, they're like ham-handed, but they get it done. This stuff, the bureaucracy, pulling political strings, they're the best in the world. They could kill you with the stroke of a pen. He's so angry because, you know, Giles, he takes off his glasses when he's getting frustrated or thinking he he's so angry he breaks them <laughs> he pops the lens out and buffy says um she asks if she'll be able to get through this review and giles sits next to her and he's like you know they're gonna make it difficult uh the physical stuff will be a challenge and buffy she's worried about the other stuff right the examining decision decisions that she's made in the past twice now i've been in, in slaying distance of glory and twice now she's kicked my ass without even tensing a muscle I haven't been able to figure out what she is or or anything about her, except that she wants the key, which I have. I can't even figure out if it's okay for me to tell anybody about that. So Giles says, no one could have done any better. 
Oh, I know. Dad's reassuring her. It's so wholesome after what happened with all the other men in this episode. <laughs> I know. And I think, and Buffy's like really stressed here, right? Like she's really venting to him. And she says, no one else is going to be asked the questions that I can't answer. They're going to expect me to be a slayer and know stuff, but I'm just me and I don't know anything. And they're going to go away and they're not going to tell me how to fight Glory and I'm not going to be able to protect Dawn. So. Let it out, Buffy. Let it out. You've had multiple men in this episode already, in this day, tell you that you're not good enough, that you're not smart enough, you're not pretty enough, you're not a good enough slayer, and it's 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 getting to her. So venting to Giles is just the right thing to do. And Giles says, the scandal here is not anything that she's done wrong, it's the way they're behaving. Holding what they know hostage with a gun pointing at my bleeding green card. It's humiliating. And Buffy says, it's also smart because they picked the perfect thing. I can't lose you. And Giles says, thank you. <laughs> my little heart. My little minion heart. <laughs> this, is, this is such an understated scene. You know, it's just the two of them, the soft lighting. It's a very adult conversation, right? Like, I think we saw that at the beginning of this season in at the end of Buffy versus Dracula, where Buffy asks Giles to be her watcher again. They were at odds so much in season four. They were figuring out how they could relate to one another now that Giles was no longer in either position of authority over Buffy, watcher or teacher. And in this scene, we see that they've reestablished that comfortable kind of mentoring relationship, but they've both changed. You know, Giles has grown. He's, he's more independent. He's kind of moved into this new bachelor phase of his existence that we saw him starting in, in the last season. Buffy's also grown up, as we've been discussing. So they're, they have that mentor-mentee relationship, but they're also on slightly more equal footing, Giles involves her in the conversation in a different way than he would have when he was the librarian and she was his student, right? And I, I think that's, it's subtle. And you can see that in the acting of these two characters. But it's just, you know, it's heartwarming. It's also just really like, nice and, and fun to see how this relationship has grown. Also, this entire episode, I was kind of well, really impressed with Sarah Michelle Geller yet again, who was able to take this young woman who we spent five seasons now coming to know and seeing her overcome all of these incredible obstacles and seeing her rise to the top again and again and go through all of these things. And yet she can break her right down. You know, we completely believe that this is a, a Buffy that is full of doubts, like full of legitimate doubts. And that all of these things that she's describing, these past failures as she sees them, we as, you know, viewers and followers of her life had, had viewed as triumphs. Like, she's pulled it out. We have no doubts in her. But her performance, this entire, I, I kept thinking, like, Buffy has grown this season, like you've said. And yet in this episode, I was very much reminded of Buffy Young. Like, they made her, Sarah Michelle Gellar made her throw back to that doubtful teenager, just in a blink. She's so good. Just ridiculous. Drives me crazy. Mm -hmm. um, I'm taken back to season one nightmares, right? And that was um, the first time we saw all of her fears laid out. And um, they're touching on all those points in this episode, right? She's worried that she's, she was taking a history test in that episode too, um, that she was going to fail it. 
is it's her fault that her family's no longer together. So that ties into how she's feeling about having to take care of Dawn and keep that secret, or maybe she shouldn't keep it. Like, is she doing the right thing? And then, of course, is she a good enough slayer? Is she a good enough friend? And all these things are coming back in this one little scene where she's she's being vulnerable with Giles, and he's there for her. And it, it is really, really nice to see. And it's followed by the funniest scene in the episode, <laughs> right? Which is the Scooby interviews. We have um, the Watchers Council at Xander's interviewing Anya and Xander, and then the are at Willow's dorm room interviewing Tara and Willow, and it jumps between the two scenes. Anya is saying, my name is Anya Christina Emmanuel Jenkins, 20 years old, born on the 4th of July, and don't think that there weren't jokes about that my whole life, mister, because there were. Who's our little patriot, they'd say, when I was younger and therefore smaller and shorter than I am now. (laughs) So good. So funny. Um, the watcher is like, yeah, so you spell it A N Y A. She is so bad at this. Like, as a vengeance demon, you get this idea that she's super smooth, but in her human persona, she's so awkward. Yeah, she should be used to taking on different personas. You're yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> my my question here, so I know that you know the show is clearly threatening to deport Giles. But I feel like there's also a parallel here with Anya and undocumented immigrants, mm-hmm. right? Where does this maybe hit a little differently now in the current climate, especially in the U.S., where there's a lot more rhetoric around undocumented immigrants? That's kind of how Anya's talking, right? Is It's like she doesn't want them to discover that she's not a true blue American. So she's really hyping up the patriotic angle here for fear of being discovered. And I just, I don't know, I'm not sure if it's a deliberate parallel that the show is making, but that's how it hits for me watching it here in 2023. She really didn't hit the patriotism. I didn't notice that. But now that you said it, like, born on the 4th of July, of course, okay. Yeah. (laughs) And she makes muffins. Right on the nose there. (laughs) She's like, I you know, have a homebody, I make muffins for you. (laughs) Yeah, that's a really good point. And I I don't think, Kara, I don't think that they thought about it that way, but it, that's why we like rewatching the show 25 years later because we're like, we catch them. We catch these things. Yeah, because something something I, I meant to say I had written down in my notes about Quentin's threat to deport Giles is, you know, things are serious when they're uh, talking about deporting a white man. <laughs> you know, things have hit a critical note in that case. We cut to Nigel, who's interviewing Willow and Tara, and Nigel asks about the Slayer and their relationship, whatever they've been doing. And Tara and Willow are so confused. They're like, uh, we're friends, good friends, girlfriends, actually. We're in love. We're lovers, lesbian, gay-type lovers. <laughs> and Willow puts her hand protectively on Tara's leg, and Nigel's like, uh, I meant your relationship with the Slayer. <laughs> and Tara's like, oh, um, we're just good friends. <laughs> just good friends or is there more um lesbian gay type lovers is so in this moment nigel is the network and willow and tara are willow and tara (laughs) yeah that's how they had to like describe so what is going on with tara and willow in season four well they're they're friends good friends (laughs) lover lovers there's lots of stuff um you know this is actually this scene is the first time not the first time I've noticed, but like I, it was very blatant how socially awkward the Scoobies are. 
right? Like Tara, Willow, and Anya. Just so socially awkward. They don't awkward. talk to anybody else. They <laughs> yeah. have no other friends outside of this group. Like like the, the minions, like Drag and Jinx have more social skills <laughs> than these girls. And interestingly enough, I don't find Xander to be socially awkward. I think Xander would be more comfortable in doing an interview like this. But let's see what he says, because the watcher asks Xander, right, about his place. And he's saying him, Willow, and Buffy are best friends who've been together from the beginning. We've gone on patrols and done demon research with her. And the watcher's like, okay, so you've been on all these patrols. Have you mastered any fighting disciplines over the years? And Xander says no. And the watcher's like, so you have no special skills or powers or knowledge that you bring to the mix. Neither of you. And Anya says, just enthusiasm for killing the demons. Go deadness for the demons. (laughs) Nailing it, Anya. No notes. (laughs) I love that Xander gets called out here for not having special skills because we know that. But I was also like, Xander, when your hand wasn't broken, you built shelves this season. (laughs) Xander is the mediocre white man on the team. What more do you need to know? He doesn't need special skills. That is a superpower. Thank you, sir. You're good to go. No. We're going to interview Anya for a bit longer. This was actually like one time where I'm like, Xander, you're selling yourself short. Remember when you turned into army man <laughs> and you had like that, those like random army skills. There was a time one, like two points in the early seasons where you were truly useful. And Xander, you deliver clothes to people when they need to, you know, dress up and go to the army base. Uh, sometimes you have a car once in a while, right? He's got a lot of stuff he's got going on here. Um, Xander says, I don't have any powers, but I do help. Last year, we compiled our essences with Buffy, which isn't as weird as it sounds. We merged and I was the heart heart part of a super Buffy. And Anya's like, I'm told it was all very professional. <laughs> So can you imagine if this outfit were part of an actual bureaucracy? What would the HR forms after the combination spell have been like? Right. To document all of that. Let's talk about the essence merging. <laughs> Was it done on company property? Um the watcher says, does the Slayer need that level of help from them often? And they've obviously asked this question in Willow's door because she says she doesn't need our help. And Tara's like, oh yeah, she's fine without us. Sometimes she goes off and does stuff without without even telling us. (laughs) And Willow's like, not that she's a weird loner. We we help because we do magics. I'm working on this ball of sunshine thing. And if it works, it's going to help make slaying more easy for Buffy. But not that it's hard for Buffy. And Nadja's like, okay, interesting. So what magical proficiency level are you at? And Willow is so confused. She's like, a, a, high, a high level? V- very high? One of the top levels? And Tara's like, five! <laughs> <laughs> I love Tara so much. <laughs> It's just such a like it's just such a good it's never a good idea to just shout out numbers like that, but she's just she says five and then her and Willow she looks at Willow, she's like, Yeah, like, like five is a good well, number. Well, because you don't know if the if, if on this scale is one high or low, right? <laughs> yeah. That's the problem with scales. So I, I think Tara's very smart to go for five, because five is either middle or high. Yeah. Right? Or I guess it could be low, but no. Five is never low. If your scale is one to five, five is always high. Yeah. 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 So that's why she's like, yeah, that was the best answer. Um, Nigel asked them if they're registered as practicing witches. And Will's like, of course. 
<laughs> so so Xander and Anya are asked if they know anything about the key. And Anya's like, no, sounds demon-y to me. I don't hold with demon nonsense. Muffins? <laughs> I baked them this morning. Uh, you're doing great, sweetie. So the watcher says, Buffy sometimes protects you from the dangerous elements of her work. And Xander says, she saved my life a bunch of times. The vampires in this town hate her. And that's when, of course, we cut to Spike, who's being interviewed. Why? Why would they give Spike's name to be interviewed? It's so weird. But it's Sorry, hilarious. That, that, last, that last line, the vampires in this town hate her, reminds me of like those clickbait article titles where it's like, you know, companies hate her. Companies hate this woman with this one easy trick that, you, you know, you want to find out. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> so... Can we just talk about the stance of the Watchers as they interview Spike in his crypt? Because there's three of them. Um, the blonde uh, female Watcher is standing in the background. One of the Watchers is ha- is holding up a cross to Spike, and the other one is holding a crossbow. <laughs> it, it makes sense. They they haven't got the memo that he's you know toothless and terrible at being a vampire. He, as far as they're concerned. He's still a threat. It's really cute, actually. <laughs> Reminds me of Wesley when we first yeah, met him. Spike ate this interview up. Like, he loved this interview. Yeah. He's like, attention. Ooh, people who still fear me. I think Spike would... I think he's missed an opportunity. He would make bank on the academic circuit. He should be going to, like, supernatural conferences and stuff. People would, you know, li- probably literally kill to interview him. Yeah, he could actually go to London um, and be with the watchers council right and like assist them if he wanted to but he wouldn't want to do that obviously no but i'm thinking like speaking fees and stuff right like showing up at conferences you know training seminars being like hey you know i'm william the bloody tortured murdered thousands of people i'm gonna tell you all about it yeah you know big celebrities get paid a lot of money to do those circuits so i mean oj wrote a book oj oh (laughs) oj So, so Spike tells the Watchers Council that he pitches in to help her when she pays him. And the one Watcher's like, she gives you money. And Spike's like, money, a little nip of blood out of a stray victim, whatever, if they're going to die anyway. And I was like, that's not true. (laughs) That's such a lie. Oh. Are we surprised? No. Are we surprised? No. Spike is lying. <laughs> Never. It's just such a funny thing to add. And so he says, uh, come to think of it, though, that's a bit scandalous, isn't it? I'm shocked the girl's slipping. <laughs> so the blonde watcher says, uh, you've noticed a decline in her work. And Spike says, the poor little twig can't keep a man because all Spike can think about is Buffy's love life. He says, gets her all down. A few more disappointments and she'll be crying on my shoulder. Mark my words. And the Watcher's like, is that what you want? I think you'd want to kill her. You've killed Slayers before. And he's like, heard of me, have you? And she says, I wrote my thesis on you. <laughs> so... A <laughs> little bit of... Uh... Even I can tell there's a little bit of like sexual tension going on here, right? Well, Spike's eating it up, right? Because his eagle's been stroked. Um, here's a woman who doesn't think he's but, a piece of shit. Oh yeah, th- this watcher would totally do Spike if she could oh. get away with it. Oh, right? yeah. oh. oh yeah. For sure. She's all blushy right now. Oh yeah. And he knows it and he eats it up, right? Because he says, Well, well, isn't that neat? And he like <laughs> he puts on his charm, right? His like seduction voice, and he's like, 
tell me, pet, now that we're such good friends, <laughs> how's the Slayer doing? She's okay. High marks in all categories. So he's using <laughs> this new angle to get more information on Buffy, obviously. I, I wish that she had like uh, cut to the exterior of the crypt with the two male watchers standing guard outside. And then she exits, you know, by herself looking kind of rumpled. <laughs> That actually would have been really funny. <laughs> Unprofessional on her part, but yes. <laughs> uh, so we uh, we cut back to the magic shop, specifically the training room in the back, where Quentin is once again holding court. He says, agility, clarity, stamina, and strength. These are the qualities that the Slayer must possess to do her job. He really likes the sound of his own voice. Yeah. So uh, Buffy's getting blindfolded. And clearly they're going to test her physical abilities. So one of the other watchers, this one, I feel like he looks the most British of all the watchers, if that makes any sense. <laughs> um, his name's Philip, but he's dressed in this case in like some black, like uh, training fighting garb. Um, and Quentin says, Philip will attack the dummy. The Slayer's job is to protect it as if it were precious. And he says, listening to my instructions at the same time will demonstrate clarity and stamina and strength will win the long fight. Good luck. The, the, the exercise begins and Quentin says, well, I'm going to tell you how to counter what Philip's doing because Buffy's blindfolded. Um, and he says, we assume you are familiar with the Japanese names for Aikido and Jiu-Jitsu moves. <laughs> what? <laughs> it's so unfair. It's so stupid. <laughs> He's doing that on purpose, of course. Yeah. He wants to make her look bad. I kind of wish I'd been in the room when the Watchers Council was designing these ridiculous <laughs> trials. Like, and then we're going to make her do it in Japanese. Like, so <laughs> right? They're probably they probably got like a whiteboard, and they've got like they've crossed out a whole bunch of languages with Japanese at the end of the list. Oh my god! It's a, it's also like how would this like when would Giles or a Watcher ever be out in the field? giving the slayer direction like this never this is so stupid so quentin starts shouting out japanese terms and uh the blonde watcher is timing with a stopwatch quentin's shouting out the terms giles is trying to interpret in real time starting with a bow to her opponent um so at first philip is winning handily against buffy because buffy is splitting her attention between trying to figure out what quentin means listening to giles interpreting and trying to fight uh, Philip all blindfolded. So she's losing pretty badly. And Giles, Quint Quentin, you know, kind of turns to Giles and is like, what have you been training her? <laughs> and Giles says, I train her to win. And that's when Buffy gets her confidence back. She gets her mojo back and she says, I'm going to do this my way, guys. She basically stops paying attention to Quentin and she takes out Philip pretty handily, disarms the him from the axe he was holding, but unfortunately the axe goes flying behind Buffy and takes out the dummy right in the head. So Buffy takes off her blindfold and she's like, oh, you know, she sees the dummy. She's like, I, I, I can do better. I, I think I might be getting this inner ear thing. So <laughs> maybe if I get a note, I can try again. And Quentin says, let's go on to the real review. Let's look at your strategy and plans and figure out what's going on in your head. Let's start at seven tonight. Give you time to, well, however you prepare. And he's clearly trying to be as patronizing, as condescending mm -hmm. as he possibly could be in this scene, right? He's he's setting Buffy up to fail. And it's both delicious and frustrating to watch at the same time. 
I, I just think it's so funny that they want to see this like physical demonstration of Buffy uh, fighting when they, I mean, obviously it's set up, like you said, for them to, like you said, for her to fail, but like they really should have followed her into the cemetery and watched her take on an actual vampire. <laughs> like that would have been. It'd be like, you're playing with your food a lot. Why? <laughs> Stop, don't talk to him so much. Just kill him. <laughs> so, oh my God, this scene. So Buffy enters her home, right? She's calling for Joyce. And who's standing there? Glory! And it's such a jump scare. It's so good. So she turns around and Glory's in her living room. And Glory says, long day, sweetie. Ooh, like we haven't seen a power move from a villain like this in a very long time. I was shot back to when the mayor entered the library in graduation day. And back then, Kara, you and I were saying, what a violation. What a violation for this man to waltz into the sacred safe space that the Scoobies have built for themselves, where they make their plans and they fight evil. The mayor walked right in, right? And made himself at home. Glory is in Buffy's living room. And we know that Glory could destroy Buffy if she wanted to, just based on their previous interactions. So this is like a huge threat. And I was like, I was like, oh my God, like my anxiety went up watching the scene. Yeah, I think the comparison to the mayor is very apt because... One of the interesting things about the mayor and Glory is they both have very clear plans. And Buffy, to them, is just a gnat. She's just in the way. Um, I think Adam, although he had plans beyond Buffy, I think he really saw Buffy as... I think he came to see her as a worthy opponent eventually. And then, of course, you know, the master was all about Buffy. It was all Buffy all the time with him. Buffy, 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 Buffy. You couldn't get him to shut up about the Slayer. (laughs) Um, and of course, Angelus was obsessed with Buffy to the detriment of his evil plan, one might argue. <laughs> um, so, you know, the mayor was the first of the big bads who underestimated Buffy. He's like, she's just this girl. You know, I can deal with her. And that was always how he handled Buffy. As you said, with that scene in the, in, um, the library, um, even before that, when uh, he was confronting Buffy when he wanted to get the, the box up with all the spiders back in it. And, you know, he was very patronizing to her, towards her then. So, yeah, Glory's continuing this tradition of, like, she is so supremely confident in her power, her abilities, her mission, if you will, that she doesn't see Buffy as a player. She, Buffy is an instrument to her, just like we were talking about with Quentin earlier. And and that's really fascinating to me in terms of how Buffy's relationships with the big bads of the show have kind of changed over the years. Yeah. And it's also scary because like the mayor, we found out pretty soon after he entered the library, uh, because it was the second last episode, that he has a weakness and that's faith. Whereas this is mid-season and we don't know Glory's weakness at all. We know that she, for some reason, needs to feed off people's brains. But yeah, we don't know if there's a vulnerability to her yet besides that. So, ooh, the threat is good. So, so Glory's walking around the living room, taking it all in, right? She's like, oh, it's so quaint. It's, you know, too small for me, but like for you, it's fine. Um, while she's doing this, Buffy grabs a fireplace poker and Glory moves so quickly that all of a sudden he, she's behind Buffy and says, Buffy, if I wanted to fight, you could tell by you being dead already. So she takes the poker and she sits on a chair and she says, play nice little girl. And Buffy says, what do you want? And Buffy is very defensive, right? Obviously, she's standing above Glory, and Glory's just chilling in the chair. 
Glory says, the key. Why else do you think I've come here? I think you know where it is. That's a good thing. And Buffy says, I'm glad you think so. And Glory says, it's the only thing keeping you alive right now. You may be tiny queen in vampire world, but to me, you're a bug. And at this point, Dawn has entered the room from behind Glory. And Buffy's trying to warn Dawn with her eyes, right? Like, get, get out of here. And Dawn slowly gets a message and starts backing up. But Glory is saying, you should get down on your knees and worship me. But oh no, you still think it's neat having Slayer strength. Ooh, big deal. Stronger than humans. Who isn't? I could crush the life from you as easy as you'd break a nail. But I need the key. And then she says, kid. So she didn't have to turn around to, to know that Dawn was there. She says, kid, come here a sec. And ooh, <laughs> this is so scary. Yeah. So I think this is a really good reminder that as much as Glory looks like, you know, a human woman, she's clearly not, right? She must have perception and senses that us ordinary humans don't have. And I think that's a good reminder of like, as much as Glory looks unstable to us in the way she behaves, we have to remember that she's not seeing the world as humans see it. And so the, the sensory information, the stimulus that she's taking in is probably overwhelming to her at times because we, we've been led to believe that this human form is not her normal form, right? She's kind of disgusted by the eating and the sleeping and all that stuff that she's doing. So, you know, you can imagine it's like you're stuffed into this form that you're not used to having, but you still have all this power, these abilities and stuff. It must be very disorienting, very disconcerting. Mm -hmm. But you wouldn't know it with how cool as a cucumber she is in this scene, right? So she calls Dawn over and Buffy says, leave her out of this. This is between you and me. And Gloria says, no, this is between me and my key. You just happen to be the thing in the way. So she snaps her fingers. Dawn comes over and Gloria says, well, aren't you the darndest thing I ever did see in my life? What's your name? And Dawn's like, Dawn. And Gloria says, did you know your sister took my key, Donnie, and she won't give it back? I bet you know where she put it, don't you? And Buffy's like, she doesn't know anything. And Don says, I know stuff. And I was like, oh. Such a teenage girl response. I was like, not, now's not the time, Don. <laughs> like, I, we've been really nice to Don, right? I think a lot of people expected us to hate on her because a lot of the fandom does. But I haven't found reasons to hate on her very much. Uh, this was annoying. <laughs> so... Glory says, where's my key, Dawn? And Buffy says, go upstairs, Dawn. And Dawn's like, you're always talking about stuff I'm not supposed to hear. I'm going to figure it out, you know. And she storms off. <laughs> I was actually like impressed by the way that Dawn played that because she knows that she's a key. <laughs> not maybe the key, but she knows a key. And the word key just came out of Glory's mouth like six times. And yet Dawn... I don't know, maybe I'm giving her too much credit here, chooses to play it cool and just be like, no, I'm blah and I'm getting out of here. Whereas if she had reacted in any way, the whole thing might have gone sideways very quickly. Yeah. But I think the first time that I watched it, I was like, Don, shut up. <laughs> just get out of here. <laughs> Which is me right now. I was <laughs> like, just, just shut up. Go upstairs. Um, but I, I like that you said that because a part of me was like, Glory, as Kara was saying, has all this power and obviously has some sort of sense around her. So she knows who's around her at, at all times. 
but why can't she sense the key? Because we know Don's the key, but she can't sense it. And it's standing right in front of her talking to her. Well, the monks hid it from her, right? So that's part of like this the, this spell. It's like she's cloaked. Yeah. And and that's, so that's one thing I was thinking about. But then to what Kandara is saying, it's really good that Don chose to be a mouthy teenager. And I'm like, I'm going to figure it out because I'm smart too. And like storms off. Uh, because no wow. way Glory would watch that and be like, that's the key. <laughs> Like, she's going to be like, well, she's just as annoying as we all think she is. And so she leaves. Glory says, I like her. She's sassy. And then she says, and I'll kill her. I'll kill your mom. I'll kill you. I'll kill your friends. And I'll make you watch when I do. Just give me the key. You either have it or you or you know where to find it. Obviously, this is a one-time only deal. So next time we meet, somebody you love dies bloody. You know you can't take me. You know you can't stop me. She leaves. That's when Joyce comes out and says, who is it? <laughs> and Buffy says, pack a bag. <laughs> so Joyce and Don were in the house this whole time. Joyce was just in the other room. Joyce is back on the stuff. Joyce must be high right Joyce, now. She's baked <laughs> as fuck. Joyce only has more stuff after her surgery. Number one. Number two, nothing will ever convince me otherwise joyce let glory in that is what joyce does she let dracula like, in. <laughs> she let darla in she lets everybody in so no doubt glory knocked on the door said i'm buffy's friend and joyce is like well, come on in just come on in i'm gonna go get come us some in. waffles i'm gonna make us something. the smell <laughs> She probably offered uh, herself. She's like, it's legal for me now. <laughs> Isn't it weird to do this legally? Um, yeah, Joyce, d- don't act so innocent. Would you like dinner in a bag? <laughs> she's like, that's how she she comes out. She's like, Buffy, who was that? I, I have her dinner in a bag and she left without it. <laughs> oh my God. Okay, so this is the weirdest decision and we need to talk about it. Buffy brings Dawn and Joyce to Spike's crypt. She says, I need your help. He says, I need your cash. And Buffy says, you need to look after them. And Spike says, that's a boatload of of manly responsibility to come flying out of nowhere. And I was like, yeah, it is. (laughs) It really is. I just, I do want to backtrack for just a moment. That the line where Buffy says, pack a bag. To me, this is the moment she is like at her most adult in this episode. Because she's now calling the shots for her mom and it's a market departure from a few seasons ago right where joyce was just learning about the slayer stuff just learning about the threat that like vampires and angelus have but there's still that parent-child dynamic and now it's definitely being reversed where it's like buffy's like i'm the slayer i'm the adult in this situation i'm telling you what's going on here and it's so interesting so i agree with you bringing here to bringing them to spike questionable but it's so interesting to me. My question is, why doesn't she send them to put them on a bus to L.A. and send them to Angel? <laughs> That's what I would have done. I would have went with her. Yeah. Like, why? Why Spike? <laughs> and it, it's only because literally, like, it wasn't that long ago, right, that he was trying to kill Buffy. I mean, it, it wasn't that long ago that he brought a shotgun to Buffy's back steps. <laughs> right? And then was like, oh, wait, you're crying. I guess I can't shoot you right now. So, so, so for Buffy to trust Spike to look after her mother and sister, it just seems out of the blue for me. It, it, I mean, she does explain. So, so basically, 
Spike makes fun of her, right? You're like, not feeling 100% Slayer? Like, you got a chip in your head too? Haha. And Buffy says, um, I need an answer from you. You're the only one strong enough to protect them. So that's that's why I'm, I'm like, I'm with you, Cara. Like, send them to LA. <laughs> but um, Spike has his ego stroked. So he's like happy that finally he's getting somewhere. Because the last couple episodes, he's been trying to get Buffy to pay attention to him, but also to trust him in some way. And here it is, right? So he takes it and he says, ladies, come on in. Plenty of blood in the fridge. So Buffy leaves and we're left with a very awkward choice who just says, I've loved what you've neglected to do with the place. (laughs) And we're like, you know, don't lie, Joyce. We know you've been to Spike's crypt before. She's so charming though, Mm -hmm. right? Like... I know. She's just the best. She's the best. Joyce is the best. Spike says just don't break anything passions is coming on so he turns on the tv and um joyce is like passions do you think timmy's really dead and spike's like well no no she can just sew him back together he's a doll for god's sake and joyce is like what about the wedding there's no way they're gonna go through with it and then they sit down and they watch passions together as dawn stews away in the background well and poor (laughs) dawn doesn't even have like a phone right like what did we do back then if we had no book like I, she must be so I, I know. I'm like wondering what she was up to. I don't know. Maybe she has a Sudoku book. I don't know if Sudoku was a thing back then, Steph. What do you mean? In, you don't think so? In North America, at least. Mm, okay, interesting. When did Sudoku become a craze here? I don't think it was back then. No. Yeah. I'm poor Don. She just must have scribbled away madly in her diary for the entire time. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um yeah, but we do love to see another Joyce and Spike scene. They're pretending in front of Dawn for Dawn's I know. It's benefit so that they're that they're not having an affair behind everyone's back. Spoice forever. Spoice for life. Uh Kandara, <laughs> I don't know if you know, but we ship Spoice. I, do. <laughs> I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We've been shipping them since season four. I mean, honestly, other than Drusilla, Joyce is the most sensible love interest for Spike. And I, I don't understand how people could think otherwise, right? <laughs> can I just say, can I just say, and I don't think I've said this on air before, but there is also like legitimate reason why I think spoice is a real thing. And that's because there is a rumor, a blind item on the internet from back in the day that James Marsters and Christine Sutherland were hooking up during season, either this season or the season before. <gasps> He's closer in age to Christine than he is to Sarah Michelle Geller. So, of course, they probably were like, oh, we're like similar ages. Let's hang out. One thing led to another. Two sexy people in a room. And those those actors were getting it on. So that lends to my belief that spoice is a real thing. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Look it up. The chemistry just takes on a whole other... Wow. And you have to remember, <laughs> Joyce has just had a brush with death here. She's been reminded of her mortality. So... She's probably looking for that danger, right? She's looking for like, okay, like, you know, I don't know how long I have left. So I got to make the most of my life here. So if she wasn't blinking Spike before, she's doing it now. Absolutely. They probably were like, Dawn, why don't you walk around outside, do a little patrol? (laughs) (laughs) Just go out into the darkness by yourself, Dawn. It's going to be fine. minutes. Don't come back. But we, well, no, Don probably had to leave because we've also talked about how Spike enjoys humanity, therefore he eats food, and therefore he poops more because vampires who eat human food 
poop. So Dom would have had to go find a bathroom somewhere because we don't think Spike found one in his crypt. So that that's a good time. That's a good time for Spoice and their passion. This is another one of our questions, Kandara, is... (laughs) You know, how much do vampires poop? And in Spike's case, like, where is he pooping? Because there's no <laughs> toilet in that crypt. There's no plumbing. I've, I've heard you guys, uh, con- you know, conjecture about this before. And it's valid. You know, it's very valid. <laughs> See? It's not something I'm going to address in, in my book. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> fair. I, I understand. You, you can be a trailblazer in every respect. <laughs> Uh, we understand that choice, <laughs> but it's on the minds of prob- not just us, probably millions of fans out there. Um, all right, we got sidetracked. So the Scoobies are sitting in the loft area of this magic shop up top as they watch the wa- the watchers below them. Xander is like, look at them, big tough council members picking on the books and willow says them that calls them fascists <laughs> that also hits differently in the current climate especially in the states mm-hmm. where various interests who are aligned with fascism are actively trying to do things like ban books <sighs> yes and tara's asking why giles doesn't just throw them out and xander says because they'll deport him they're not just destroying his career they're condemning the man to a lifetime diet of blood sausage bangers and mash and Quentin takes his time to remind Giles that Buffy is 20 minutes late. So it must be 7.20. It's winter time in Sunnydale, Kara, because Buffy, as you mentioned earlier, she's wearing this fluffy white jacket or shacket, I called it, because it's actually this jacket would be very popular today. And a black toque. She's cold. <laughs> and sometimes, sometimes we have to point out when the Scoobies wear these giant parkas in California because it's unheard of to you and I who are from Canada. We're like, no, no, no. It's like summer weather right now. So anyway, Buffy's aware that she's late, but she's suddenly attacked by three men and they're wearing like knight in shining armor <laughs> costumes, like, uh, like with chainmail hoods. So you can't see their faces. And some of them have long metal poles and one of them has a sword. And Buffy's like, guys, do, could we not do this, <laughs> right? But they do. And it's an epic fight. We haven't seen a fight like this in a really long time. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was well done. And Buffy oh. takes them out. Super well done. Like, shout out to the uh, choreography and stunt team and also the, the editing, the editing team. I thought it was completely well put together. Sometimes now that it's in HD, I can really pick out the points where it's not Sarah Michelle Gellar and it's like her stunt, her stunt stand-in. But in this one... It was seamless. Yeah. Bravo. Bravo, crew. Mm-hmm. I noticed that too. I was also, because I, I also look for the stunt devil and like when they switch it up. Mm-hmm. In this one, I'm like, you could have told me Sarah Michelle Gellar did the whole thing and I'd believe you. It's really satisfying. Yeah, I'm, I'm watching I'm watching rips from the DVDs. So I, I get it in all of its blurry uh, 480p <laughs> goodness. <laughs> yeah, so she takes them out. Honestly, it's it's epic. Buffy straddles the one on the ground. She takes off his chainmail mask and she's like, let's see what you are. But he's human. So she's like, or who you are. And the man says, I'm one soldier in a vast army. The Knights of Byzantium. Did I say that? Byzan- Byzant- Byzantium. Byzantium. <laughs> the Knights Byzantium. Byzantium. <laughs> An ancient order are now your enemy. And she's like, oh, you work for glory. And he's like, no, if you think we'd align ourselves with a beast, you must be mad. 
And Bobby's like, you're the one who tried killing me. And he's like, we were fools, three alone. But if it takes a hundred men, we send a hundred men. If it takes a thousand, we send a thousand. As long as you protect the key, the Brotherhood will never stop until we destroy it. And you, you are the Slayer and we know what we must do. Kill us and let legions follow. I'm sorry, excuse me. Who are you? Where have you been this whole time? We're suddenly learning there's a secret society out there with thousands of men available. I'm with you. They're you know what they are? They're they're LARPers. <laughs> they're not even <laughs> real. Were you like totally I was totally distracted by this pretty boy and his accent. I'm like, where are the Knights of Byzantium recruiting from? Is it all SoCal based? What's <laughs> what's going on? And I have this like vision in my mind of like, there must be pulling SoCal boys off the streets at a young age, you know, like yes. luring them in, like um, in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. It's Turtles. a white boy gang. Yeah, oh. when they took like the soldiers off with promises of cigarettes and video games. <laughs> and funny stories. And instead they indoctrinate them in the Knights of Byzantium. It's so true. But also, why are they knights? Like, what's with the swords? It's the 21st century, my dudes. Like, <laughs> have you heard of guns? Guns are very effective at fighting evil. Like, killing things. Somewhere Mr. Trick is just shaking his head <laughs> at this man. <laughs> but yeah, no, I think we've uncovered a couple things in this conversation. Uh, yeah, one, we need more backstory about these knights of, uh, I can't even say the word, Byzantium. Uh, <laughs> I'll never be able to say it right. Uh, we need more. Number two, uh, are they just a, a combination of all the Sunnydale white boy gangs that we've <laughs> heard about for a couple seasons now? And three, like, why now? Like, I know, like, it was, it was like the Slayer is protecting the key, so we need to go kill the Slayer. It doesn't make any sense. You guys should be fighting with her. It's because Riley left. <laughs> it's Riley was single-handedly holding them back. Oh. We don't. We don't give this guy enough credit. Oh, wow, <laughs> your last words, not mine. <laughs> uh, so, so Buffy picks up the sword, right? And the knight stands up, and Buffy holds the sword to his throat, and then she's like, "Go." I like how they take. I like how she takes the sword. She's like, "I'm keeping this." <laughs> My thing was just like, "Poor Buffy." Okay, like not only is her professor getting on her case for asking questions in class then she's got the watchers council then she's got the her stalker spike putting her down and then she's forced to like give him her family to look after and now she's got to deal with the thousands of men that might come to take her out like this is a thousands of men is just too much that's too many men it's too many (laughs) and the fact that they sent three he's like oh we were fools to send three it's like yeah (laughs) yes you were have you not done any research (laughs) did you not watch last week's episode where she took out more than three vampires at once but like how like how i'm how how do they think that taking out the slayer who is protecting the key is going to help their situation. Then the key is unprotected. But they want they want to get rid of the key. But they don't That's know the what the key. Thing, right? Yeah, I guess no, they, they don't, don't know the she, key. They is, just yeah. think that she's protecting. Mm, okay, okay, okay. So they they probably weren't going to kill her. They were probably going to like capture her and torture her for information. <laughs> yeah, well, and also like they're like the knights of exposition, right? Because thank goodness that this guy was so chatty. He just gave everything up <laughs> and true. revealed more about the play. Yeah. <laughs> He, yeah. yeah, you're right. He did. He just he unraveled like a cheap suit. Do you think it was in the training? They're like, okay, 
So if in the event you are captured, you must spill all the details of our plan immediately. Well, if they are, as I originally thought, LARPers, <laughs> it's just a game, right? They're just playing a game. Right. And that's what you do. This is part of, yeah, yeah. you have, you know, it's like, oh, okay. It's like, okay, it's like a uh, hold, right? And then it's like, they slip out of character. They're like, wait, so you captured me, right? But like. I can still go home. I got to make softball practice after yeah, this. Yeah, he's like, it's, it's going to go past five. <laughs> All right. Wasn't it your turn to bring the muffins this time? <laughs> uh, we're going to have so much fun with them for the rest of the season. So Buffy, here, here comes you guys. This is it. Buffy enters the magic shop with the sword. Quentin's like, you're late. And she's like, yeah. <laughs> so Giles asks her if she was attacked. And she's like, yeah. So Quentin says, well, we can begin the review now at last. And we can skip the more obvious questions. So Buffy places the sword in front of Quentin. She puts it down on the book in front of him. Yes. She's disrespectful. She's like, I'm she done. Puts her, she puts her dick on the table. Hers is bigger. <laughs> oh, and she stole it from <laughs> from that random white guy that she's is, that, is that not what women do Steph do we not just emasculate all the men in our lives come on we strive to so Buffy says there isn't gonna be a review no review no interrogation no questions you know I can't answer no hoops no jumps no interruptions because Nigel was about to interrupt her and you guys, Buffy is in control. And Sarah Michelle Gellar's delivery, the timing, especially on that last line, no interruptions, the pause before it. This scene needs to be studied <laughs> in acting classes. I'm just throwing that out there. I, I don't teach acting. I, I don't know anything about what I'm talking about right now. <laughs> but like, study this scene, study her performance in this scene. It is so good. The speech she's, she, she's going to give in a moment. Like, yes, the writing is good. You know, credit to the writers. But like, Sarah Michelle Gellar sells it oh she delivers this monologue like her life depended on it like she's got to pay like this is what's going to get her rent paid this month like she sells it so buffy says she starts pacing the store and she says i've had a lot of people talking to me the last few days everyone lining up to tell me how unimportant i am i finally figured out why power i have it they don't this bothers them. Glory came to my home today just to talk. She told me I'm a bug. I'm a flea. She could squash me in a second. Only she didn't. She came into my home and we talked. We had what her warped brain probably passes at for a civilized conversation. But why? Because she needs something from me. Because I have power over her. You guys didn't come all the way from England to determine whether or not I was good enough to be let back in. You came to beg me to let you back in to give you your jobs, your lives, some semblance of meaning. And then Nigel tries to interrupt her, right? He's like, this is beyond insolence. And she <laughs> she throws the sword at him and it embeds into the shelf, like right in front of his face. And she says, I'm pretty sure I said no interruptions. <laughs> what a power move, right? Yes. Do not let the men interrupt you, Buffy. <laughs> also, I was going to say, Giles is probably like, ooh, but like I just cleaned after the troll. <laughs> Rampage. Easy on the shelves. <laughs> they're, they're, they're fresh. They're new. Xander can always build more <laughs> since he's apparently so good at it. We were talking about this earlier in the season, Kandara, how like Xander's magically become good at like shelves and carpentry. <laughs> 
Um, and one of our listeners actually wrote in with a hot stake recently where it was like, maybe Willow worked a spell to make him good at carpentry. Oh, <laughs> in the background. That would have been so sweet of her. Well, until it backfires, right? Yeah, until wow. something goes awry. Um, so here he is, right? Buffy, Buffy knows. She says, it's power. I have it. They don't. And what I love about this episode and what I love about the writing, um, and this is only the beginning of this monologue, I never realized like the show has the the episode has been leading up to this moment this whole time. And it didn't strike me until we got to it. Right. The fact that they've been peeling away Buffy's agency and Buffy's independence and Buffy's belief in herself as a slayer, as a woman, as a student, like all these things. And it was to get to this moment where she says, it's because I have power when it's so obvious. It's like, oh, yeah, obviously, that's why they're doing this so that the speech makes sense. I didn't see it coming. And that's what I find so satisfying about it, right? That's what's so brilliant about the writing on this show is they sneak in these huge themes and these big messages and they package it all up in fancy fight scenes and quips. So boom, Mm -hmm. there it is when it lands. Like, wow. Exactly. Like, I know that we are often very critical on this podcast when we look at the show through a more modern uh, 2020s lens of feminism. I think this particular case of feminism in Buffy really holds up well because, you know, this is what feminism is trying to tell all of us. You know, women, people of marginalized genders, people who experience various identities with intersecting oppressions. We we don't always have power in our society in in terms of like being able to affect change directly. But the whole reason that the patriarchy and capitalism and white supremacy come for us and oppress us so effectively is because they are afraid of the power that we hold intrinsically, right? When you look at something like gender, which, you know, I'm just going to talk about that because that's one of that's one of my axes of marginalization. It's like the reason why people in positions of authority are trying to crack down so hard right now on trans people and gender diverse people is because they are afraid of the power that gender freedom holds for everybody, even if you're cis, right? Even if you're not a trans person, just having that freedom to express your gender, to question and explore your gender and and entertain the idea of there being something more than just this strict colonial binary that allows the patriarchy to, you know, continue to have power over us. It's scary. They are scared right now. And that's why they are fighting so hard to put us back in a box to oppress us. You know, we've seen this before and we're going to continue to see it, unfortunately. And that's what the show is capturing here, right? And maybe it's not as intersectional as it would be nowadays, but it's like throughout history, this is how men and people who uphold patriarchy have oppressed women. They've labeled them as hysterical. They've put us in asylums and sanatoriums. They've locked us away. Uh, they've created laws preventing us from working and basically forcing us right to get married and have kids because, hey, when you're spending all of your life you know, bearing children and rearing children, you don't have as much time to fight the patriarchy. So... That's what Buffy is standing up against in this speech. She is the culmination of a really long line of oppressed women 
standing up to Quentin, who is the symbol of patriarchy and white men in this case. And she's saying, enough, I'm not going to be your instrument. I'm not going to play nicely. And, and it just, I get chills listening to the speech. I had to go back and listen to it again because I'm just like, wow, like it still feels very relevant now, which is a little bit sad, but in a nice way, I'm glad that it holds up so well. Well said. That's another reminder why we have a podcast like this, why we invite uh, women like Kandara on. We have to use these platforms and use what we can to do what Buffy did, but you know, in our own way with our words, where we just, we throw swords at the Nigels of the world who call us insolent for daring to speak our minds <laughs> and, and tell it as it is. So let's continue on. The Scoobies are really impressed with Buffy right now, as they should be. Buffy says, you're watchers. Without a slayer, you're pretty much just watching Masterclass Theater. You can't stop Glory. Masterpiece. Masterpiece Theater. <laughs> you can't stop Glory. You can't do anything with the information you, ha you have, except maybe publish it in the Everyone Thinks We're Insano's Home Journal. So here's how it's going to work. You're going to tell me everything you know. Then you're going to go away. <laughs> You'll contact me if and when you have the further information about Glory. The magic shop will remain open. Mr. Giles will stay here as my official watcher, reinstated at full salary. Retroactively. <laughs> <laughs> of course, Giles. So, <laughs> so good. And Buffy's like, to be paid retroactively. From the month he was fired, I will continue my work with the help of my friends. I was like, Buffy, love this. Love this. Go a little bit further and get money for you and your friends. <laughs> yes. Why is the Slayer not paid? Get on that payroll, girl. The blonde watcher interrupts and she's like, I, I don't want a sword thrown at me, but civilians? We're talking about children. And Buffy stands up for her friends and she says, we're talking about two pow very powerful witches and a thousand-year-old ex-demon. And Anya, <laughs> this made me laugh out loud. Anya's like, Willow's a demon? <laughs> She just carries it through. Ch children? Oh. Excuse me? What What are the slayers that you normally discard by the time they're 16 or 17 years old, if not child soldiers in your proxy war against demon kind? Ms. Blonde Watcher. Those lady. are just tools. It's <laughs> just instruments. They don't have souls. Like, you can't get precious about children right now. Come on. <laughs> Philip says, the boy. <laughs> He's like, no power there. And Philip's got a point. And Buffy <laughs> says, the boy has clocked more field time than all of you combined. He's part of the union. Willow says to Xander, that's Riley speak. As in like, I don't know why she said that. Like as in like Buffy's learned. Like army army okay. speak, right? Like clocked time, field uh, in the field. Okay, you know? okay, okay. I agree, I agree with Willow for what it's worth. I feel like Buffy wouldn't have used that vocabulary if she hadn't been dating Riley previously. So she did learn something from him. <laughs> other than what, what she learned and where the wild things are. She also learned what mediocre sex is like. <laughs> she enjoyed it. How dare you? She enjoyed his fishy face. So Xander says, I've clocked field time. So there like, there you go, Xander. For She just keeps throwing you bones. And there you go. So Buffy says, you all may be very good at your jobs. The only way we'll find out is if you work with me. You can all take your time thinking about it, but I want an answer right now from Quentin because I think he's understanding me. <laughs> turned it back around love it oh yeah chef's kiss and what what uh giles looks so smug and quentin says your terms are acceptable and the scoobies applaud we all applaud we say we love you buffy fuck the patriarchy love this for her 
Buffy sits at the table and she says, see, no begging. And Quentin wants to drink some single malt scotch. But Buffy says, just a minute, Glory, I want to know. Just tell me what kind of demon I'm fighting. And Quentin says, that's the thing you see. Glory isn't a demon. Buffy says, what is she? Quentin says, she's a god. And Buffy says, oh, snap. And then we fade to black. Such a banger. I remember the first time I watched this episode. Like, I still have a very vivid memory of hearing that revelation and being like, what? <laughs> what does this mean? Yeah, that was huge. Great reveal. I love that reveal at the end. Great cliffhanger. Well, it's just like it's um up in the ante, right? It's like it's like so far, yep, demons, hell demons, dimensions, all these things that we've gotten used politicians. to. Politicians. Politicians. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so masterful watching that mic drop moment after we've just listened to Buffy give this extremely rousing speech that has completely returned our faith in the slayer that we know. And then she's met with this new information. She's like, oh, and we're like, oh, yeah. Okay, no, we're still in big trouble. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we're still quite young in this. And we don't know. And like, that's the universe is expanding with just that one comment. She's a god. It's like, mm. oh, there are gods now? <laughs> right? <laughs> like, what does that mean for us? So, ooh, ooh, what a great cliffhanger for the mid-season finale, as, as I'm sure this was. So, everyone, who is your hero this episode? For me, it's pretty obvious. I chose Buffy, obviously. No, I chose Joyce. <laughs> no, no, no. Jo- Buffy's the <laughs> I one. Mean, this isn't bad. You're not choosing poor Jinx for getting beat up for just doing his job? No, I would. If it was drag, I would have chosen drag because I really like drag. That's yeah. fair. I, I agree with you. Like, clearly it's meant to be Buffy. Yeah. Yeah. This is a Buffy episode. This is all her. This is all her journey. Um, secondary, I would say Anya. For just really committing to that lie the entire time. She learned how to bake muffins. <laughs> that was harder before you two. <laughs> yeah, it's just really great to see Buffy reclaim her power, right? She was they tried so hard to strip her from of it this episode, all the men, and she just came right around and she was like, fuck you, I have the power. Um, shout out to Giles as well, right, for being there for her, having her back this entire time. And getting reinstated and getting more monies. All right, let's get to our hot stakes. We've got three today, right? First hot stake is from Martin talking about uh, diagnosis of medical stuff, brain stuff, uh, with regards to listening to fear. Martin says, when I was in high school, my dad received a traumatic brain injury in an accident. It caused behavioral changes and mood swings that resulted in my dad sometimes saying and doing things that made me scared, embarrassed, and uncomfortable. I had to deal with all this while supporting my mother and protecting my younger sibling from as much of that behavior as I could. That sort of experience is indescribable. While the rest of season five has some great moments showcasing the experience of having a parent diagnosed with a serious medical condition. Listening to fear portrays an experience that many people like myself have been through, but is so rarely talked about due to stigma and embarrassment. My closest friends didn't even know this was going on, and it's only recently I've been coming to terms with the trauma from it. Thank you for sending that in, Martin. Um, I know that when we covered listening to fear we had a lot of critiques about it because overall we thought the episode was a bit uh for lack of a better word bad (laughs) but one thing that car and i did commend for the episode was the portrayal of joyce 
and her condition and what she was going through and how that impacted Buffy, who chose to be her caregiver in that episode. And we made the point then, and we'll make it again here, as you're saying, this can be indescribable. It can really, really cause trauma to somebody who's taking care of a loved one that um, can't be their best self. So it is no shame to ask for help or admit to yourself that this is harder than you thought it was going to be because these kind of things are really tough. So I'm glad that that episode was able to portray that experience in the way that you felt it. Agreed. All right. Our next hot stick is from Sarah, who was talking about Fool for Love. She says, um, Buffy has already died. So when she does die again, another Slayer won't be called. Obviously, she would never just give up on her calling and saving people, but she doesn't need to be a Slayer anymore, technically. She's already died and in a roundabout way fulfilled her duty. So with that in mind, does she have a death wish? So I think in that episode, you and I were talking about do slayers have death wishes? Because that's what Spike was saying. So I think that's Sarah mm. um, say asking the same question, right? Kandari, I'd be curious, you know, on your thoughts about this, having thought a lot about the psychology of various slayers and stuff. It's like Buffy is in this unique position at this point in time where, as, as Sarah's pointing out, the line of slayers isn't going to continue with her, right? It's going to continue with Faith and then whoever's called after Faith. So it's kind of like, yeah, Buffy could just say, you know, F this, I'm going to go retire. She could. That's a good point. I've never quite thought of it that way before. But I mean, at the same time, Faith is, uh, I know you guys don't really cover Angel completely, but at this point, Faith's behind bars, right? So there is only one active slayer in the world right now, and it is Buffy. So I don't know that that even entered her mind. Like she never felt like she could walk away because I mean, between Buffy and Faith, I think Buffy's always felt like she's the one, you know, like I know they're both the one, but she's the one, one. <laughs> she's the one. That's for us. a, that's actually a really, that's a really good point. Kandara. If an evil person had sufficient foresight, they could, instead of killing the slayer, merely permanently incapacitate the slayer, but keep her alive. Uh, maybe like put her into some kind of artificially induced coma or something so that she would just keep aging at a normal human rate. But as long as she's alive, another Slayer wouldn't be called. And, you know, there you have like a, at least a couple of decades with no active Slayer on the board. Kara, that is devious. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Who are you? <laughs> Interesting. I don't trust you. <laughs> Um, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Sarah, for pointing that out. That's a really interesting question. And, you know, other listeners could comment on that. Our final hot stake is from Angela about Willow's behavior in Triangle towards Anya. <laughs> Angela says, it's very easy to think, oh, Willow is doing the same thing she did when Xander was dating Cordelia. She's being rude and is upset that Xander is dating, etc. One important detail that we need to consider is Willow is the only person to know about the alternate reality of the wish. When Anya lost her powers, even Anya doesn't know what she had created. She just knows she created another reality. Remember, back in Doppelgangland, Willow had seen the alternate reality before Vampire Willow came over. So, Willow has first-hand knowledge of the power Anya holds. Also, knowing Xander's history of hurting the women he loves, you know, Cordelia and Willow, it's easy to see Willow's concern, not to mention what she knows about Xander's home life. The chances of Xander hurting Anya, in Willow's mind, are very high. And 
if that happens, Anya will most likely go back to her old ways. So little uh, reflection on Willow's psychology there. Mm, that episode. It's <laughs> <laughs> an interesting note. Yeah. I think it's interesting how much the Scoobies end up trying to protect each other from what they see as these possible threats from the interlopers, the new people in their lives, right? Yeah. And I think Angela's done a really good job of like diving into more detail of what Willow could potentially be worried about with Anya. Do I think that that episode and that her character this season, who's been not around, you know, we've, we've talked about this. She, she's been there, but she hasn't had her own storyline yet. I don't see it. I don't think that the show has depicted it as deeply as Angela is showing it. But as you said, Cara, like it's a good reflection on one possible angle to why Willow has always had this disdain or this uh, mistrust, distrust of Anya. Indeed. I think that's it from us, Steph. Long, yeah, I've, as as I've spoken know. enough today. Uh, <laughs> we want to thank you, Kandara, for joining us again. So fun to have you. Yeah. Thank you so much. It is such a blast to talk with you guys. <laughs> Anytime you want to come back, you just let us know. Um, before we go, do you have anything else that you want to plug or talk about? Could be, you know, other books of yours, other things you're up to, other stuff that you've been enjoying that you want to talk about? Not really. One Girl in All the World is out now. Um, the next book will be out next year. Hopefully I'll be back to chat with you guys for season six and then maybe season seven. I don't know how fast you guys go, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, it's just, it's so much fun to talk about Buffy. We agree. We, we agree. We think so. Um, and, and where can everyone find you on Instagram? Yeah. On... These, these days I'm primarily on Instagram. Um, Instagram. I'm just at Kendara Blake. Twitter. I'm at Kendara Blake. And if you like tweet at me, I'll respond, but otherwise I'm not going to do much over there. Uh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> all right. And Great. thank you very much to all of our supporters on buy me a coffee, especially our chosen ones, Lizzie, Holly, Kayla, Brady, Jordan, Julian, Nicola, and Luis. Emma, Taza, Kyle, Destiny, Erica, Allison, Jace, Haley, and Tasha. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Kandara. Thanks, Kara. We will see you next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to Prophecy Girls. If you want and can't afford to donate, head over to buymeacoffee.com slash prophecygirls for one-time and monthly options. We appreciate all of your support, even if it's just spreading the word about us or enjoying our show week by week. We also invite you to join us in the discussion by messaging us on our social media channels. Follow us at Prophecy Girls Podcast on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook and prophecy underscore girls on Twitter. Also email us at prophecygirlspodcast at gmail.com or visit our website, prophecygirls.ca, where you can find the link to our Discord. Can't wait to hear from you. Praise Malik. See you next week.